the underdog the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world my name is hannah grant and i'm the administrative assistant and social outreach director at the animal law firm i will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder christina bergson in order to create more content for our lovely viewers as i interviewed these amazing people i was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi everybody, thanks for joining us. Today we have Scott Fine, founder of Joey's Legacy, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with the mission of increased advocacy for companion animals. Now, Christina interviewed Scott previously way back in season one, episode two of Fighting for the Underdog, Um, but the animal law firm works closely with Joey's Legacy, and we know how they're constantly changing and working to fight for animal rights. So we wanted to welcome them back onto the show to talk about their current projects and progress with Joey's Legacy. Um, So thanks for being here today, Scott. How are you? I'm great, Hannah. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. You're welcome. Okay, well, we can just uh, dive right into the questions then, but for a little background in case our viewers missed the first interview, can you tell us a little bit about Joey's Legacy and what you do there? Absolutely. Joey's Legacy was formed in October of 2017, uh, about four months after we lost our dachshund, Joey, to uh, what we now know was veterinary malpractice. The uh, veterinarian that was treating him that day was not his regular vet. And unfortunately, uh, he guessed at what was wrong with Joey rather than performing diagnostics like uh, labs or, or, or imaging. In any case, he decided to prescribe a drug uh, called Convenia, which is normally given for skin and soft tissue uh, issues. Uh, Joey was brought to the vet with GI issues and unbeknownst to everyone because no labs were done, Joey was uh, suffering from uh, renal dysfunction. He, he was in early stage kidney failure, which we learned the next day after we brought him back and they, his regular vet finally did labs. So unfortunately, the drug that he was given is known to be poison for kidneys that are not functioning properly. And um, the manufacturer even notes not to give convenient to dogs and cats with renal problems. So unfortunately, once the drug was given, uh, it was in his system what would have been 65 days according to the manufacturer in any case the next day joey started deteriorating and unfortunately on the third day his breathing became so labored and he was unable to stand so we were advised that the best course of action would be to euthanize him and uh, relieve his suffering and of course our main you know, goal was to uh, not for him to suffer at all. So we did uh, euthanize him on the 21st of June in 2017. So my wife and I decided after a period of short period of time that uh, we wanted to try to reach out to uh, others that may have experienced the same situation. 
uh, with their companion animals that Joey did. And we decided to form the Facebook group, uh, Joey's Legacy Vet Mal Victims. And we went from just a couple of members to about 3,600 members today in five years. Uh, we learn about uh, people find us from a variety of different ways, Google searches, uh, veterinarians that actually send their new clients to us to pursue the matter uh, against the, the former vet who maltreated the dog. So that's a little bit about Joey's legacy and how he got started. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry for your loss, but I think Thank it's you. amazing what you do for people. And it's a topic that not a lot of people know about. So I think it's really cool that you get the word out and people can learn a lot from your page. I know I have. Um, that was the first episode I listened to of this podcast and what got me really excited to, to get involved. So yes. I think it's a well, thank day. you. Thank you. Yes, of course. So as you've been working with more and more people, what are some common problems that you've been made aware of in the veterinary profession? We, you know, Hannah, we recognize, and this is usually my first uh, uh, little diatribe that I give when I do these podcasts. We've fully recognized that the majority of the 77,000 plus veterinarians in the United States in small animal practice. They're caring, compassionate, they're ethical, they're honest with their clients. Uh, they do the right thing for their patients and they entered the profession because of a, a profound love for companion animals. Mm -hmm. We mainly deal with the, uh, the, the small minority that the rogue veterinarians, I call them bad actors because when they uh, commit an act of negligence or malpractice rather than being truthful and transparent with the uh, with the pet parent uh, they avoid that confrontation or that I, I should say that adversarial relationship which it wouldn't be if they wouldn't lie but they do they falsify records there's all kinds of um, things they do that are actually violations of the Veterinary Practice Act. And so people come to us, our veterinary team reviews their records, makes a determination that negligence occurred. Uh, we write an opinion letter, also uh, known as a certificate of merit, which is passed on to our attorney in the state where the uh, alleged malpractice occurs. And, um, quite often, it's the animal law firm. We, we do a lot of uh, work uh, for them and with them. So um, we stay, unfortunately, we stay very busy. We talk to about 50 to 75 new people per month who come to us for assistance. So why do you think these problems exist and, and how do you, what do you think is the solution? Is, is education and awareness the biggest thing or is there other things we can do? On the, on the pet parent side, education and awareness is exactly what we have been uh, doing. That's our mandate as a 501c3 nonprofit. We provide public education in the area of animal advocacy specifically companion animals and we believe that the more pet parents are aware of the more education they have 
the better off they are in, with respect to advocating for their own companion animals at their own veterinarians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's just, the, the problem is, it's very simple, okay? Malpractice occurs in every profession. Doctors, lawyers, nurses, carpenters, uh, you know, plumbers, electricians. Things happen that are unexpected. In many professions, there's no loss of life or permanent injury to 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 a, to a uh, you know to a person or to a companion animal. Unfortunately, when malpractice occurs in the veterinary profession, it can create a lot of mayhem, a lot of emotional turmoil in the family if they lose their companion animal. And many of our people in our group tell us if if the veterinarian had just been honest with us and told us exactly what happened you know after we went through our period of mourning uh you know people think they could find a way to forgive the veterinarian for what happened but once the veterinarian crosses the line from honesty into deception and they start falsifying records telling lies to the uh to the uh, pet parent and other devious type of uh activity then that you know obviously the battle is on and the pet parent seeks uh for lack of a better word revenge for lying and and demoralizing their their themselves uh you know, it's like adding salt to the wound. I mean, it's bad enough. They lost their companion animal. Now they have to be lied to about it. So that's where we step in. And, you know, when appropriate, we, we sue for fraud and other types of civil violations. And uh, we do our best to uh, help the uh, pet parent find closure. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard because, I mean, I know I do. I think everyone, like views their pet as part of their family and uh it's hard for some people to understand that and that they should be treated as equal with with human health care as with animal care no no doubt of course the penalties are a lot more severe uh in medical malpractice than veterinary malpractice simply because and unfortunately in 49 out of 50 states uh animals are considered property um and of course we all know their family members none of none of us consider our dogs and cats and horses and other companion animals as property but the law does however we are making some inroads and in, in making some changes in a number of states and uh we believe that in three to five years, the entire landscape for veterinary justice is going to look entirely different and will be a lot more positive for companion animals than it is now. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think there's been a lot of progress being made. It makes it hard to to fight for their rights and their justice when they're considered property. Um, do you want to go into that at all, the, the progress you've been making? Well... You know, veterinarians um, as a whole, the entire profession was rated number three most respected profession back in 2006 in the Gallup, the annual Gallup poll behind nurses and pharmacists. 
it's been a lot of years since the veterinarian since veterinarians were even on that list they've fallen off the list uh a long time ago and, and there there've been a lot of problems in the profession uh you have these large conglomerates that swoop down and buy up the mom and pop veterinary clinics and their concern is the bottom line and pretty much nothing else um you know getting sued is 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 just the cost of doing business and as long as the bottom line is is uh as long as there's a profit on the bottom line that's pretty much what they care about uh and and that continues to be the problem even even now i mean these like some of these large um, companies have started buying up the the smaller veterinary practices many years ago and it, it just turns into a, a real bad situation most of our complaints from vet, from uh, pet parents are about uh visits to the vet where the animal was brought to the vet for a dental cleaning and something goes wrong that's the most common complaint too much anesthesia the um, endotracheal tube isn't positioned properly inserted properly isn't removed properly uh and, and so this is a matter of training and just you know reckless behavior nobody you know i mean the majority of the cases we get clearly whatever happened was unintentional you know i'm not of the belief that veterinarians and vet techs drive to work every day with the intention of harming their patients it's just what happens like a car accident like a heart attack uh it just happens it's unexpected unintentional you know unintentional and this is the same thing what is intentional is the decision to lie to a client about what happened to their dog or cat during a procedure or a surgery that's intentional unforgivable and we pursue that with a lot of vigor because we want to send the message you know we understand things happen we don't want them to happen presumably you don't want them to happen but when you cross the line and start to lie that's where we step in mhm yeah do you think that it should almost be implemented and their training on how to deal with those kinds of situations rather than just procedural processes uh absolutely as a matter of fact uh one of our veterinarians just told me the other day that she uh is starting to train uh new veterinarians veterinarians that just graduate from um uh, vet school and we've always believed that's the perfect place to start mm-hmm. uh and she is taking her experiences with Joey's legacy reviewing the records of other vets and writing opinion letters and teaching her new students this is what happened here kind of a don't let this happen to you kind of a program and uh it seems to be working very well this is the place this is the time and place to educate veterinarians about you know about veterinary malpractice and what really goes on because i think a lot of them just don't know yeah wow that's amazing i mean yeah i mean that, i think that's 
definitely the way to go about the problem is you have to start at the bottom and then work your way up. So yes, that's really yes. cool that they do that. Mm-hmm. So um, where can people find you for assistance if they've had a bad experience with a veterinarian? Joey'sLegacy.org is our website. Uh, you'll find a, a lot of information, especially on the homepage. We're uh, working on a few projects right now. We've got two books out at uh, Amazon.com, uh, Volume One and Volume Two. They contain the stories, uh, very heartbreaking stories, uh, of our members, some of our members who have been through a horrific experience with a veterinarian. Now, I want to make the point that we have a, a just shy of 3,600 members, I believe. The majority of them have come to us wanting to join, but telling us that they've never had a bad experience with a veterinarian, which makes sense. And they're just here to learn about what, what they can learn uh, as far as what happened to other people so they can become better advocates. And, and so, you know, a lot of people can look at a, a website like ours or a group like ours and immediately come to the incorrect conclusion, oh, they're just a bunch of vet bashers. We absolutely are not. We are very fair. On, I mean, I've got a team of 10 great veterinarians that are willing to speak out against their colleagues because they're tired of the negligence and the malpractice that occurs that unfortunately permanently injures or kills uh, well causes the death of their patients when it's unnecessary mm-hmm. and you know the more veterinarians that can open their eyes and be willing to be part of the solution by speaking out instead of unfortunately even though they're great vets and they're ethical and they're honest they don't want to, to step out of their comfort zone and help uh, turn the tide in the profession so as long as the majority don't, we're going to have a, a bigger battle on our hands. Yes, definitely. Um, so is your book and the documentary, I don't know if you want to talk about them separately, but are they on the more informative side of giving stories about people that you've helped? Or would you like to explain that a little bit? Sure. So each book, volume one and volume two, contain a couple of dozen stories for members from our group what happened to them if their uh, animal if their companion animal was uh, died at the vet or died because of the actions of the vet or the vet tech or or if they uh, had a permanent injury perhaps Um, so that's all of that is captured in these two books by uh, best-selling author jl robb who took a, an interest and a liking uh, to Joey to Joey's Legacy and what we do. So he wrote uh, volume one, and then about nine or 10 months later, he wrote volume two. Uh, there's a volume three planned probably for 2023. Uh, the other thing we're doing is um, we actually have a, uh, a film producer and director who's won nine Emmy Awards throughout his career, happens to be a friend of a friend of ours. And uh, he has begun to produce two documentaries 
The first one is going to be called Companion Animals or Family Not Property. That will be a, an, a purely educational documentary for pet parents. We'll explore a lot of different aspects of being a pet parent, the best uh, nutrition, the proper nutrition, uh, wellness, uh, behavior, uh, holistic versus traditional veterinary medicine. It's just one giant opportunity for people to watch the documentary and learn as much as they can to be the best pet parent they can be. We're fortunate enough to have a gentleman from PBS who is a, a programming director at PBS for over 20 years. Uh, that documentary is already cleared to be uh, uh, presented on the PBS platform throughout the United States. And uh, we, we believe that's gonna be a big hit. We're also producing another documentary called Tales of Betrayal, Tales, T-A-I-L-S of Betrayal, that will expose all of the bad actors that we, we see in the veterinary profession, including boards of veterinary medicine, who really failed to discipline their colleagues firmly and fairly on a routine basis if they did uh, step out of their comfort zone, which is uh, turning their uh, turning their heads away, turning a, a blind eye and a deaf ear to our members and people that file complaints against veterinarians, if they would just take the time to discipline firmly and fairly, I think we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today, but they're more about protecting their own. And uh, it's caused some real dire consequences for family members. Uh, we'll also, of course, examine the, the bad actor vets that make a conscious decision to lie to their clients about uh, um, situations that, you know, came up that were unexpected. But uh, instead of being truthful with the clients, they take the easy way out and just lie. So we're going to expose all the bad actors we can in that second documentary. We're hoping at this point that they will be ready for distribution in early 2023. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll have to keep updated on that and let me know when, when they're out and I'll, I'll try to get those out to our viewers. Sure. Um, and where are the books available now? And if so, where can people find them to purchase? So uh, you can go to Amazon.com and purchase. It's Joey's Legacy seeking truth and integrity in veterinary medicine volume one and volume two uh, they're available in soft cover and hard cover uh, if any of your um, listeners would like pdf copies of those books they can just email me at info at joeyslegacy.org info at joeyslegacy.org and i will send them the pdf copies uh, to their inbox. Okay, great. Um, that yeah, so the, we'll we'll offer that to your to your listeners. Okay, thank you so uh, much. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and and so that that's pretty much what we're working on right now. We're we're always looking for people to join our group. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we we field like fifty to seventy five phone calls a month from people that need assistance because they did have a harrowing experience at their veterinarian's office 
and they don't know what to do. They're, they're totally lost as we were when Joey died, but we put it together. We figured it out and we took the time to, um, devote a lot of time to this, uh, to this mission, this effort. And we've helped hundreds and hundreds of people in the past five years. That's amazing. It sounds like all these projects are, are really exciting and, and they're also different that I think it's really cool. It really encompasses every aspect of the problem. And yes, that's really exciting. Yes. Um, but I think we should take a little break here and then we'll come back and get into, into some more. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, we're back with Scott Fine from Joey's Legacy, and we're going to get uh, going with some questions again. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good, Hannah. Okay, great. Um, so what are your goals and dreams for the future of Joey's Legacy at the moment? We are obviously looking to help as many people as we can. We want to expand our SEO on our website. We want more and more veterinarians to hear about us and send uh, their new clients to us as many already are doing because you know there's always been a a, a a belief out there Hannah that it's kind of a brotherhood they all stick together mm-hmm. and uh, while vet boards do that we're finding that individual veterinarians are starting to uh, now that they have a venue to send their bereaved clients to uh, you know, veterinarian number one maltreats the patient, the, uh, but the patient survives. So the pet parent takes the animal to vet number two, uh, who realizes what happened at vet number one. So the veterinarian tells his or her client, go talk to Joey's legacy. Vet number one needs to be called out. There needs to be accountability from vet number one. And so that we're seeing that a lot. So there are veterinarians more and more that are willing to step out of their comfort zone and send people to us um, where accountability needs to be, uh, uh, you know, brought to light with the the bad actor. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the the real problem is that... um, they're, they were really missing this kind of third party to be able to go to right. to to right. get to get their issues dealt with because the vets are just have too much on their plates to handle it on their own it seems exactly and you know a lot of our vets have gone to vet, their vet boards in their states and tried to file complaints against their colleagues where they know there's uh, bad things happening at the practice like allowing the receptionist to perform a spay or a neuter or a dental cleaning where they're totally unlicensed and untrained and that's where you know death occurs in a lot of cases Uh, but the vet boards don't care about their complaints either Mm -hmm. they do not want to discipline their colleagues unless they absolutely have to like if, if, if there's a veterinarian that's caught using veterinary drugs for personal use, then the Drug Enforcement Administration can come in and revoke the vet's license. So the vet board has no choice but to revoke 
the veterinary license. Um, and but you know, short of something criminal or just something way out there, uh, when it comes to just these regular, I don't want to call it regular because nothing nothing's routine about it but when it comes to negligence and malpractice that boards typically don't care about doing anything about it why is that what is what's discouraging them from disciplining them well i mean it's i can only speculate however Mm -hmm. i will tell you that when we were at the hearing we filed a complaint with the florida board of veterinary medicine back in uh, a few months after joey died and the the hearing was uh 15 months later which would have brought it to uh, december of 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, we went to listen to what the vets you know final discipline would be and um, we ran into one of the board members during the lunch break and I said to her, I said, I notice all these other veterinarians are, you're just kind of slapping them on the hand. You're not really disciplining them. Her response, which I'll probably remember the rest of my life was, well, what do you want us to do? Suspend or revoke every veterinarian? <laughs> and so when I, you know, dealing with that kind of stupidity, I didn't bother to continue the conversation. Uh, they, are worried about their own reputations. They're worried about uh, reprisal from the, uh, the the veterinarians that uh, are, are, you know, called out if they're disciplined, you know, too firmly or too, you know, too fairly or however you want to look at it. They're actually worried about getting threats from the veterinarians because they discipline them too heavily or too too strictly Uh, and then if you don't want the job let somebody else do it why are you there yeah that seems like a very ignorant response to be honest Uh, how how do you solve any problem unless unless you address it well very frustrating the reality is hannah they don't solve any problems (laughs) they don't do anything Mm -hmm. to help things along and so uh you know, I'd, I'd like Joey's legacy to be that uh, second chance for the uh, pet parent to um, attempt to, uh, you know, gain or achieve justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it's a really critical step in the process at, at this point. Yes. Um, so how has the social and political environment and attitude changed surrounding veterinary malpractice? And, and how do you think this will change in the future? Well, we, you know, our group and other other groups have already started the process of changing laws. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had some uh, cases where they turned into uh, public awareness. You know that our attorney and our veterinary team are involved. And we are seeking justice against the animal hospital, for example, in New York and Texas, wherever it is. And it's we're making it public because it's going to court. So it's obviously a matter of public record. And this is another way to expose this now malpractice in the profession to the public, to the world. And a lot of our members are talking to their state legislators 
to try to make changes uh, in laws pertaining to companion animals. For example, in Delaware, a few years ago, uh, one of our members lost his uh, his his dog to uh, over vaccination, and so he was instrumental in working with the a couple of the legislators in Delaware. And there's a uh, uh, there's a law now called Maggie's Pet Vaccination Protection Act, which means that Delaware veterinarians are no longer mandated to offer rabies vaccines if the a blood titer test can demonstrate that the dog already has immunity to rabies. There's no need to give an actual vaccination, which can tend to cause seizures and long-term issues. Um, so that's one major step mm-hmm. uh, for companion animals. And then just recently, uh, there was another law instituted uh, or enacted, I should say, in Delaware called Izzy the Cat Act, where Izzy survived and uh Izzy's uh, pet parent was able to work with the legislators again in Delaware and get uh, the law changed to allow emotional damages in this kind of a lawsuit. Typically, there it, traditionally it's never been allowed to mm-hmm. sue f- for emotional damages. You could only recover the cost of all of the uh, vet visits and a, uh, a sum of money known as replacement value for the companion animal if the animal passed. Uh, but we've been able to, you know, kind of start breaking down the walls and um, allowing emotional damages in these types of cases. Uh, this, is a, this is a landmark decision and will allow other states to uh, enact those kinds of laws, which will make these kinds of cases more interesting and more lucrative to animal law attorneys who now often just refuse the case because it takes time and there's not a lot of money involved for either the attorney or for the pet parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's a really important step in, in getting people to view animals as more than property as well. If, if they're willing to get justice for the emotional damage, I, I, I think that's a that's a big step that's a that's a a really big deal and we're also now suing for fraud uh falsifying documents when we can prove that the uh, veterinarian is working with two sets of records which quite often uh they do and um of course the second set of records it clean is cleaned up it doesn't show their negligence or what they did wrong but our veterinary team is quite often able to identify records that have been altered. And uh, that, of course, is related to the attorney involved. And then they take it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little off topic, but uh, just I don't know. I was thinking about it while you were talking. Um, how do you suggest that uh, people research and find good veterinarians? How do they avoid these places that have had malpractice in the, in the past, or how should they go about that? That's difficult. The the you know public a public record for a veterinarian will show only complaints 
that were sustained by the vet board that the vet board said yeah you you messed up and we're going to discipline you although the discipline is never much of anything any complaints that are filed against the veterinarian that are dismissed never show up anywhere so there could have been 50 complaints against a particular veterinarian and only the veterinarian would know it never becomes public record so to your to your question the best way i would say is referral from friend or family um a lot of times the better business bureau if there's no complaints that can be a good sign that the veterinarian is practicing at or above the standard of care ethical professional honest um but probably i mean if i was uh if i was in the you know if i was looking for a new vet i would absolutely look for friends or family in in my community and see what they have to say it's okay. it's not easy yeah yeah it's a real challenge trying to decide a, like first yeah. time pet owners where they should take their pet exactly i'm exactly. sure looking at your page honestly would would help alone just seeing people's experiences it, it kind of frightens people from even wanting to i mean i've got members of my group that have said to me you know i've got you know my one dog passed because of negligence and now i've got two more i got to go find another vet i'm scared to death i don't know what to do who do i trust mm -hmm. so once that trust is broken with the profession you know it's obviously just like anything else in life once trust is broken it's hard to get back mm -hmm. and that's why you have to do your best to uh, stack the stack the the deck in your favor and just go with referrals from friends and family yeah it's a it's a tough situation to to get people to advocate for themselves and get help but not shut out the veterinary practice completely i think exactly and you know what hannah the odds are the odds are you'll find you know you'll find a good vet because most vets do a good job they mm -hmm. you know you're we don't have any hard statistics as far as what percentage of visits to the vet result in permanent injury or, or death. It's a very low number. Okay. Re however, relatively speaking, it's statistically significant. And for those of us that have been through it, it occupies our minds and it just doesn't go away mm -hmm. it's five years for my wife and i and we're constantly reminded of course because of the nature of what we do every day helping people mm -hmm. uh, but even people in the group that have told me i don't know how you do what you do i i think about my my you know baby that we lost and it, it doesn't seem to go away it's hard to you know, it's hard to focus on my other companion animals, on getting a new companion animal. You know, they just live in a world where they have to figure out a way to get by. It's really tough. You know, losing a companion animal due to natural causes or, or injury is one thing. There's mm -hmm. a profound level of sadness with that. But once you add 
a permanent injury or death that that did not have to occur you've got anger you've got rage people get arrested for invading the the vet's office and making threats and all kinds of stuff goes on mm-hmm. it, it's 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 understandable yeah absolutely you know it's understandable and, and it's unfortunate but anyway the, the, the you know if i have to if i have to say one thing hannah i just want people to take really good care of their companion animals get references where they need to get references and we're here if they need us i mean we can help in any way we can and um we will yeah absolutely i think it uh you're very responsive to everybody that needs help even if if you can't directly help them you it seems you always have references or or some way to go about the problem so that's right correct so um how can the public get involved and help support joey's legacy we have a donation tab at our website joeyslegacy.org we publish a bi-monthly newsletter on the 15th and the 30th of every month um if anyone is willing to make a $20 donation, we'll send uh, newsletters for the rest of the year to their email. I mentioned the PDF copies of the books. Uh, glad to send those as well. Uh, the author, JL Rob, has a website and we'll offer 10% off of any books or any of the merchandise there. Uh, if people want to contact me, explain how to do that um and we we do this seven days a week from eight in the morning till nine at night eastern time our phone number 803-520-7566 again joeyslegacy.org there's a donate tab at the top if you're willing to donate twenty dollars We'll send you the newsletters and the PDF copies, and we'll give you the discounted JL Rob's website. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so obviously this is a, a heavy line of work, but what has been the most rewarding part of your work with your organization? You know, Hannah, a lot of the calls that come in, I have a difficult time with the call, period. Okay, but a lot of people that call can't go more than a couple of sentences without breaking down Mm -hmm. and it makes it even more difficult and I mean I certainly understand it and I I obviously there for them all the way Uh, but the real reward for me is and a lot of people say this at the end of the call they said I was totally lost and I feel so much better after talking to you guys because now I feel like there's hope. I have a chance for some justice. Mm-hmm. That's probably my biggest reward right there. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I don't know, with loss, it, it, one of the worst parts is, is like feeling like you can't do anything about it. And so I think that it gives them a way to, to get some, some justice. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we're, we're very, we're very grateful. We're very happy that we have the opportunity to help these people because we were in their exact same shoes five years ago. Mm-hmm. And we knew, you know, we experienced that 
mayhem in our lives, that turmoil in our minds. And initially we had nowhere to go and nowhere and, and no one to turn to. We finally were able to uh, engage a few people that believed in us, uh, a couple of veterinarians, a couple of attorneys that believed in us and were support that were very supportive. And it's because of them that we were able to get a good start and build build up to where we are now. Definitely, yeah. So after working with all these people and hearing all these different stories, what's the most important lesson your organization has taught you? Uh, most of the, the most important lesson my organization has taught me, mm-hmm. um, uh, just being learning to have patience to be helpful where help is needed. I mean, I've always been a, a patient guy, I would say, but talking to two to three people a day with these kinds of stories, um, it, it kind of, I mean, it keeps keeps Joey's memory alive. Some of these stories involve dachshunds. Some of these stories involve convenience, the same drug that, you know, was responsible for destroying Joey's kidneys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, it, it kind of keeps it real for me. It keeps it alive. And the more people we can help, the more grateful I am for the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I think considering, I don't know, the, it, it, sometimes the process is slow for these kind of problems to, to really make a difference. And so I think that definitely patience is something to keep in mind because you're, you're slowly chipping away at, at this big problem and, right. but, but you are making a difference. So Absolutely. We are very slowly, but we're getting there. Yeah. So kind of um, wrapping up a bit, is there anything you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you yet? A lot of people that have never had this experience, a bad experience with a veterinarian, have a hard time wrapping their arms around what we do and who we are. Mm-hmm. Some actually think we're just a bunch of whiners because we lost our animals and we just want to blame the veterinarian. Some people do that. Most people do not do that. Most people are objective enough to know, especially after speaking with one of our veterinarians and getting the results of a review of the records. A lot of them will come back to me and they said, you know, you know, Dr. X explained this to me. And I was, I was all wrong about my perception of the vet and what happened. And now I understand why the vet did as much as they could but it was just my dogs or my cat's time Mm -hmm. Uh, and we get some of that we get some people that you know will come back to me and say uh, that vet doesn't know what they're talking about do you got another vet i can talk to and yeah we got 10 vets sure Mm -hmm. talk to as many as you want you're likely to get the same response more or less Um, and so, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's a tough thing to deal with emotionally. Uh, more often than not, the companion animal does not survive. And we have grief counselors that will talk to our members to try to help. One of our grief counselors is also a victim of veterinary malpractice. She's a PhD. She's a uh, psychologist. 
and um, she's been very helpful to a number of our members because mm-hmm. we know what we know what it's all about. We've been through it. We get it. So well, I just want people to know we're here if they need us. Well, I think it's amazing what you do, and I, I think it's great that you have um, so many different resources, not just. I mean, the obviously the the recommendations are amazing, but the the grief counseling is, is a really cool thing. I didn't know that you had, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like I learned so much, and I'm I'm sure our viewers will too. And I'll make sure to to link your website and and you'll let me know when your film comes out, and Absolutely. and I'll get that out there. That'll be a big day. Yes, very excited for that. Good. So thank, thank you, you so Hannah. much. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Scott Fine, founder of Joey's Legacy, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with the mission of increased advocacy for companion animals. Now, Christina interviewed Scott previously way back in season one, episode two of Fighting for the Underdog, Um, but the animal law firm works closely with Joey's legacy, and we know how they're constantly changing and working to fight for animal rights. So we wanted to welcome them back onto the show to talk about their current projects and progress with Joey's legacy. Um, So thanks for being here today, Scott. How are you? I'm great, Hannah. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. You're welcome. Okay, well, we can just uh, dive right into the questions then, but for a little background in case our viewers missed the first interview, can you tell us a little bit about Joey's Legacy and what you do there? Absolutely. Joey's Legacy was formed in October of 2017, uh, about four months after we lost our dachshund, Joey, to uh, what we now know was veterinary malpractice. The uh, veterinarian that was treating him that day was not his regular vet. And unfortunately, uh, he guessed at what was wrong with Joey rather than performing diagnostics like uh, labs or, or, or imaging. In any case, he decided to prescribe a drug uh, called Convenia, which is normally given for skin and soft tissue uh, issues. Uh, he, Joey was brought to the vet with GI issues and unbeknownst to everyone, because no labs were done, Joey was uh, suffering from uh, renal dysfunction. He, he was in early stage kidney failure, which we learned the next day after we brought him back and they, his regular vet finally did labs. So unfortunately, the drug that he was given is known to be poison for kidneys that are not functioning properly. And um, the manufacturer even notes not to give convenience to dogs and cats with renal problems. So unfortunately, once the drug was given, 
Uh, it was in his system what would have been 65 days, according to the manufacturer. In any case, the next day, Joey started deteriorating. And unfortunately, on the third day, his breathing became so labored and he was unable to stand. So we were advised that the best course of action would be to euthanize him and uh, relieve his suffering. And of course, our main uh, you know, goal was to uh, not for him to suffer at all. So we did uh, euthanize him on the 21st of June in 2017. So my wife and I decided after a period of short period of time that uh, we wanted to try to reach out to uh, others that may have experienced the same situation uh, with their companion animals that Joey did. And we decided to form the Facebook group, uh, Joey's Legacy Vet Mal Victims. And we went from just a couple of members to about 3,600 members today in five years. Wow. Uh, we learn about, uh, people find us from a variety of different ways, Google searches, uh, veterinarians that actually send their new clients to us to pursue the matter uh, against the, the former vet who maltreated the dog. So that's a little bit about Joey's legacy and how he got started. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry for your loss, but I think Thank it's you. amazing what you do for people. And it's a topic that not a lot of people know about. So I think it's really cool that you get the word out and people can learn a lot from your page. I know I have. Um, that was the first episode I listened to of this podcast and what got me really excited to, to get involved. So yes. I think it's well, thank you. Thank you. Yes, of course. So as you've been working with more and more people, what are some common problems that you've been made aware of in the veterinary profession? We, you know, Hannah, we recognize, and this is usually my first uh, uh, little diatribe that I give when I do these podcasts, we've fully recognized that the majority of the 77,000 plus veterinarians in the United States in small animal practice. They're caring, compassionate, they're ethical, they're honest with their clients. Uh, they do the right thing for their patients and they entered the profession because of a, a profound love for companion animals. Mm -hmm. We mainly deal with the, uh, the, the small minority that the rogue veterinarians, I call them bad actors because when they uh, commit an act of negligence or malpractice rather than being truthful and transparent with the, uh, with the pet parent, uh, they avoid that confrontation or that, I, I should say that adversarial relationship, which it wouldn't be if they wouldn't lie, but they do. They falsify records. There's all kinds of uh, things they do that are actually violations of the Veterinary Practice Act. And so people come to us, our veterinary team reviews their records, makes a determination that negligence occurred. Uh, we write an opinion letter, also uh, known as a certificate of merit, which is passed on to our attorney in the state where the uh, alleged malpractice occurs. And um, quite often, it's the animal law firm. We, we do a lot of uh, 
work uh, for them and with them. So um, we stay, unfortunately, we stay very busy. We talk mm -hmm. to about 50 to 75 new people per month who come to us for assistance. Mm -hmm. So why do you think these problems exist and, and how do you, what do you think is the solution? Is, is education and awareness the biggest thing or is there other things we can do? On the, on the pet parent side, education and awareness is exactly what we have been uh, doing. That's our mandate as a 501c3 nonprofit. We provide public education in the area of animal advocacy specifically companion animals. And we believe that the more pet parents are aware of, the more education they have, the better off they are in, with respect to advocating for their own companion animals at their own veterinarians. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's just, the, the problem is, it's very simple, okay? Malpractice occurs in every profession. Doctors, lawyers, nurses, carpenters, uh, you know, plumbers, electricians, things happen that are unexpected. In many professions, there's no loss of life or permanent injury to, 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 a, to a, uh, you know, to a person or to a companion animal. Unfortunately, when malpractice occurs in the veterinary profession, it can create a lot of mayhem, a lot of emotional turmoil in the family if they lose their companion animal. And many of our people in our group tell us if, if the veterinarian had just been honest with us and told us exactly what happened, you know, after we went through our period of mourning, uh, you know, people think they could find a way to forgive the veterinarian for what happened. But once the veterinarian crosses the line from honesty into deception and they start falsifying records, telling lies to the, uh, to the uh, pet parent and other devious type of uh, activity, then that, you know, obviously the battle is on and the pet parent seeks, uh, for lack of a better word, revenge for lying and, and demoralizing their, their themselves. Uh, you know, it's like adding salt to the wound. I mean, it's bad enough. They lost their companion animal. Now they have to be lied to about it. So that's where we step in and, you know, when appropriate, we, we sue for fraud and other types of civil violations. And uh, we do our best to uh, help the uh, pet parent find closure. Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard because, I mean, I know I do. I think everyone like views their pet as part of their family and uh, it's hard for some people to understand that and that they should be treated as equal with, with human health care as with animal care. No, no doubt. Of course, mm -hmm. the penalties are a lot more severe uh, in medical malpractice than veterinary malpractice simply because and unfortunately, in 49 out of 50 states, uh, animals are considered property. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we all know their family members. None of, none of us consider our dogs and cats and horses and other companion animals as property, but the law does. 
However, we are making some inroads and in, in making some changes in a number of states. And uh, we believe that in three to five years, the entire landscape for veterinary justice is going to look entirely different and will be a lot more positive for companion animals than it is now. Mm -hmm, definitely. I think there's been a lot of progress being made. It makes it hard to, to fight for their rights and their justice when they're considered property. Um, do you want to go into that at all, the, the progress you've been making? Well, you know, veterinarians uh, as a whole, the entire profession was rated number three most respected profession back in 2006 in the Gallup, the annual Gallup poll behind nurses and pharmacists. It's been a lot of years since the veterinarian, since veterinarians were even on that list. They've fallen off the list uh, a long time ago. And there have been a lot of problems in the profession. Uh, you have these large conglomerates that swoop down and buy up the mom and pop veterinary clinics and their concern is the bottom line and pretty much nothing else. Um, you know, getting sued is, a, is, is just the cost of doing business. And as long as the bottom line is, is uh, as long as there's a profit on the bottom line, that's pretty much what they care about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that continues to be the problem even, even now. I mean, these, like some of these large um, companies have started buying up the, the smaller veterinary practices many years ago. And it, it just turns into a, a real bad situation. Most of our complaints from vet, from uh, pet parents are about uh, visits to the vet where the, the animal was brought to the vet for a dental cleaning and something goes wrong. That's the most common complaint. Too much anesthesia. The, um, endotracheal tube isn't positioned properly, inserted properly, isn't removed properly. Uh, and, and so this is a matter of training and just, you know, reckless behavior. Nobody, you, you know, I mean, the majority of the cases we get clearly whatever happened was unintentional. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not of the belief that veterinarians and vet techs drive to work every day with the intention of harming their patients. It's just what happens, like a car accident, like a heart attack. Uh, it just happens. It's unexpected, you know, unintentional. And this is the same thing. What is intentional is the decision to lie to a client about what happened to their dog or cat during a procedure or a surgery that's intentional, unforgivable. And we pursue that with a lot of vigor because we want to send the message. You know, we understand things happen. We don't want them to happen. Presumably you don't want them to happen. But when you cross the line and start to lie, that's where we step in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that it should almost be implemented and their training on how to deal with those kinds of situations rather than just procedural processes? Uh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, one of our veterinarians just told me the other day that she 
uh, is starting to train uh, new veterinarians, veterinarians that just graduate from um, vet school. And we've always believed that's the perfect place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is taking her experiences with Joey's legacy, reviewing the records of other vets and writing opinion letters and teaching her new students. This is what happened here. Kind of a don't let this happen to you kind of Mm -hmm. a program. And uh, it seems to be working very well. This is the place. This is the time and place to educate veterinarians about, you know, about veterinary malpractice and what really goes on, because I think a lot of them just don't know. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely the way to go about the problem is you have to start at the bottom and then work your way up. So that's really cool that they do that. Mm -hmm. So um, where can people find you for assistance if they've had a bad experience with a veterinarian? Joey'slegacy.org is our website. Uh, You'll find a a lot of information, especially on the homepage. We're uh, working on a few projects right now. We've got two books out at uh, Amazon.com, uh, Volume One and Volume Two. They contain the stories, uh, very heartbreaking stories, uh, of our members, some of our members who have been through a horrific experience with a veterinarian. Now, want to make the point that we have a, a just shy of 3,600 members, I believe. The majority of them have come to us wanting to join, but telling us that they've never had a bad experience with a veterinarian, which makes sense. And they're just here to learn about what, what they can learn uh, as far as what happened to other people so they can become better advocates. And, and so, you know, a lot of people can look at a, a website like ours or a group like ours and immediately come to the incorrect conclusion, oh, they're just a bunch of vet bashers. We absolutely are not. Mm-hmm. We are very fair. On, I mean, I've got a team of 10 great veterinarians that are willing to speak out against their colleagues because they're tired of the negligence and the malpractice that occurs that unfortunately permanently injures or kills Uh, well, causes the death of their patients when it's unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more veterinarians that can open their eyes and be willing to be part of the solution by speaking out instead of, unfortunately, even though they're great vets and they're ethical and they're honest, they don't want to step out of their comfort zone and help uh, turn the tide in the profession. So as long as the majority don't, we're going to have a, a bigger battle on our hands. Yes, definitely. Um, so is your book and the documentary, I don't know if you want to talk about them separately, but are they on the more informative side of giving stories about people that you've helped? Or would you like to explain that a little bit? Sure. So each book, volume one and volume two, contain a couple of dozen stories for members from our group, what happened to them if their uh, animal, if their companion animal was uh, died at the vet or died because of the actions of the vet or the vet tech, 
or if they um, had a permanent injury, perhaps. Um, so that's all of that is captured in these two books by uh, best-selling author J.L. Robb, who took a, an interest and a liking uh, to Joey to what Joey's legacy and what we do. So he wrote uh, volume one, and then about nine or ten months later, he wrote volume two. Uh, there's a volume three planned probably for 2023. Um, the other thing we're doing is um, we actually have a, um, a film producer and director who's won nine Emmy awards throughout his career. He happens to be a friend of a friend of ours. And um, he has begun to produce two documentaries the first one is going to be called Companion Animals or Family, Not Property. That will be a, an, a purely educational documentary for pet parents. We'll explore a lot of different aspects of being a pet parent, the best uh, nutrition, the proper nutrition, uh, wellness, uh, behavior, uh, holistic versus traditional veterinary medicine. It's just one giant opportunity for people to watch the documentary and learn as much as they can to be the best pet parent they can be. We're fortunate enough to have a gentleman from PBS who was a, a programming director at PBS for over 20 years. Uh, that documentary is already cleared to be uh, uh, presented on the PBS platform throughout the United States. And uh, we, we believe that's going to be a big hit. We're also producing another documentary called Tales of Betrayal, Tales, T-A-I-L-S, of Betrayal, that will expose all of the bad actors that we, we see in the veterinary profession, including boards of veterinary medicine, who really fail to discipline their colleagues firmly and fairly on a routine basis, if they did uh, step out of their comfort zone, which is uh, turning their uh, turning their heads away, turning a, a blind eye and a deaf ear to our members and people that file complaints against veterinarians, if they would just take the time to discipline firmly and fairly, I think we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today, but they're more about protecting their own. And uh, it's caused some real dire consequences for family members. Uh, we'll also, of course, examine the, the bad actor vets that make a conscious decision to lie to their clients about uh, um, situations that, you know, came up that were unexpected, but uh, instead of being truthful with the clients, they take the easy way out and just lie. So we're going to expose all the bad actors we can in that second documentary we're hoping at this point that they will be ready for distribution in early 2023. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll have to keep updated on that and let me know when, when they're out and I'll, I'll try to get those out to our viewers. Sure. Um, and where are the books available now? And if so, where can people find them to purchase? So uh, you can go to amazon.com and purchase. It's Joey's Legacy. Seeking Truth and Integrity in Veterinary Medicine, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Uh, they're available in soft cover and hard cover. 
if any of your um, listeners would like PDF copies of those books, they can just email me at info at joeyslegacy.org, info at joeyslegacy.org, and I will send them the PDF copies uh, to their inbox. Okay, great. Um, yeah, amazing. so we'll we'll offer that to your to your listeners. Okay, thank you so um, much. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and and so that that's pretty much what we're working on right now. We're we're always looking for people to join our group. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we we field like fifty to seventy five phone calls a month from people that need assistance because they did have a harrowing experience at their veterinarian's office and they don't know what to do. They're, they're totally lost as we were when Joey died, but we put it together. We figured it out and we took the time to um, devote a lot of time to this, uh, to this mission, this effort. And we've helped hundreds and hundreds of people in the past five years. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds like all these projects are are really exciting and and they're also different. That I think it's really cool. It really encompasses every aspect of the problem. And yes, that's really exciting. Yes. Um, but I think we should take a little break here and then we'll come back and get into into some more. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, we are back with Scott Fine from Joey's Legacy, and we're going to get uh, going with some questions again. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good, Hannah. Okay, great. Um, so what are your goals and dreams for the future of Joey's Legacy at the moment? We are obviously looking to help as many people as we can. We want to expand our SEO on our website. We want more and more veterinarians to hear about us and send uh, their new clients to us, as many already are doing, because, you know, there's always been a, 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 a belief out there, Hannah, that it's kind of a brotherhood. They all stick together. Mm-hmm. And uh, while vet boards do that, we're finding that individual veterinarians are starting to, uh, now that they have a venue to send their bereaved clients to, uh, you know, veterinary number one maltreats the patient, the, uh, but the patient survives. So the pet parent takes the animal to vet number two, uh, who realizes what happened at vet number one. So the veterinarian tells his or her client, go talk to Joey's legacy. Vet number one needs to be called out. There needs to be accountability from vet number one. And so that we're seeing that a lot. So there are veterinarians more and more that are willing to step out of their comfort zone and send people to us um, where accountability needs to be, uh, uh, you know, brought to light with the, uh, the bad actor. Mm -hmm. So, and so it sounds like the, it sounds like the real problem is that, um, they they were really missing this kind of third party to be able to go to right. to to right. get to get their issues dealt with because the vets are just have too much on their plates to handle it on their own it seems exactly and you know mm-hmm. a lot of our vets have gone to vet, their vet boards in their states and f- tried to file complaints against 
their colleagues where they know there's uh, bad things happening at the practice, like allowing the receptionist to perform a spay or a neuter or a dental cleaning where they're totally unlicensed and untrained. And that's where, you know, death occurs in a lot of cases. Uh, but the vet boards don't care about their complaints either. Mm-hmm. They do not want to discipline their colleagues unless they absolutely have to. Like if, if, if there's a veterinarian that's caught using veterinary drugs for personal use, then the Drug Enforcement Administration can come in and revoke the vet's license. So the vet board has no choice but to revoke the veterinary license. Um, and But, you know, short of something criminal or just something way out there, uh, when it comes to just th- these regular, I don't want to call it regular because not, nothing's routine about it, but when it comes to negligence and malpractice, this vet boards typically don't care mm-hmm. about doing anything about it. Why is that? What is what's discouraging them from disciplining them? Well, I mean, it's I can only speculate. However, mm-hmm. I will tell you that when we were at the hearing, we filed a complaint with the Florida Board of Veterinary Medicine back in uh, a few months after Joey died, and the, the hearing was uh, fifteen months later which would have brought it to uh, December of 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to listen to what the vet's, you know, final discipline would be. And um, we ran into one of the board members during the lunch break. And I said to her, I said, I notice all these other veterinarians are, you're just kind of slapping them on the hand. You're not really disciplining them. Her response, which I'll probably remember the rest of my life was, well, what do you want us to do? Suspend or revoke every veterinarian? <laughs> and so when I, you know, dealing with that kind of stupidity, I didn't bother to continue the conversation. Uh, they are worried about their own reputations. They're worried about uh, reprisal from the, uh, the, the veterinarians that uh, are, are, you know, called out if they're disciplined, you know, too firmly or too, you know, too fairly or however you want to look at it, they're actually worried about getting threats from the veterinarians because they discipline them too heavily or too, too strictly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you don't want the job, let somebody else do it. Why are you there? Yeah, that seems like a very ignorant response, to be honest. Uh, How how do you solve any problem unless unless you address it? Well, very frustrating. The reality is, Hannah, they don't solve any problems. (laughs) They don't do anything Mm -hmm. to help things along. And so, uh, you know, I'd I'd like Joey's legacy to be that uh, second chance for the uh, pet parent to um, attempt to, uh, you know, gain or achieve justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, it's a really critical step in the process at, at this point. Yes. Um, so how has the social and political environment and attitude changed surrounding veterinary malpractice and, and how do you think this will change in the future? Well, we, 
you know, our group and other, other groups have already started the process of changing laws. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had some uh, cases where they turned into uh, public awareness, you know, that our attorney and our veterinary team are involved and we are seeking justice against the animal hospital, for example, in New York and Texas, wherever it is. And it's, we're making it public because it's going to court. So it's obviously a matter of public record. And this is another way to expose this now malpractice in the profession to the public, to the world. And a lot of our members are talking to their state legislators to try to make changes uh, in laws pertaining to companion animals. For example, in Delaware, a few years ago, uh, one of our members lost his, um, his, his dog to uh, over-vaccination. And so he was instrumental in working with the, a couple of the legislators in Delaware. And there's a, uh, uh, there's a law now called Maggie's Pet Vaccination Protection Act, which means that Delaware veterinarians are no longer mandated to offer rabies vaccines if the, a blood titer test can demonstrate that the dog already has immunity to rabies. There's no need to give an actual vaccination, which can tend to cause seizures and long-term issues. Um, so that's one major step mm-hmm. uh, for companion animals. And then just recently, uh, there was another law instituted uh, or enacted, I should say, in Delaware called Izzy the Cat Act, where Izzy survived and uh, Izzy's uh, pet parent was able to work with the legislators again in Delaware and get uh, the law changed to allow emotional damages in this kind of a lawsuit. Typically, there it, it, traditionally it's never been allowed to mm-hmm. sue for emotional damages. You can only recover the cost of all of the uh, vet visits and a, uh, a sum of money known as replacement value for the companion animal if the animal passed. Uh, but we've been able to, you know, kind of start breaking down the walls and um, allowing emotional damages in these types of cases. Uh, this is a this is a landmark decision, and will allow other states to uh, enact those kinds of laws, which will make these kinds of cases more interesting mm-hmm. and more lucrative to animal law attorneys who now often just refuse the case because it takes time and there's not a lot of money involved for either the attorney or for the pet parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's a really important step in, in getting people to view animals as more than property as well. If, if they're willing to get justice for the emotional damage, I, I, I think that's a, that's a big step. That's a, that's a really big deal. And we're also now suing for fraud, uh, mm-hmm. falsifying documents when we can prove that the uh, veterinarian is working with two sets of records, which quite often 
they do. And um, this, of course, the second set of records it clean is cleaned up. It doesn't show their negligence or what they did wrong. But our veterinary team is quite often able to identify records that have been altered. And uh, that, of course, is related to the attorney involved. And then they take it from there. Mm hmm. Um, this is a little off topic, but uh, just, I don't know, I was thinking about it while you were talking. Um, how do you suggest that uh, people research and find good veterinarians? How do they avoid these places that have had malpractice in the, in the past or how should they go about that? That's difficult. The, mm -hmm. the, you know, public, a public record for a veterinarian will show only complaints that were sustained by the vet board that the vet board said, yeah, you, you messed up and we're going to discipline you. Although the discipline is never much of anything, any complaints that are filed against the veterinarian that are dismissed, never show up anywhere. So there could have been 50 complaints against a particular veterinarian and only the veterinarian would know it never okay. becomes public record. So to your, to your question, the best way I would say, they is referral from friend or family. Um, a lot of times the better business bureau, if there's no complaints, that can be a good sign that the, the veterinarian is practicing at or above the standard of care, ethical, professional, honest. Um, but probably, I mean, if I was, uh, if I was in the, you know, if I was looking for a new vet, I would absolutely look for friends or family in, in my community and see what they have to say. It's, okay. it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real challenge trying to decide at like first yeah. time pet owners where they should take their pet. Exactly. I'm exactly. sure looking at your page, honestly, would, would help alone just seeing people's experiences. It, it, it kind of frightens people from even wanting to, I mean, I've got members in my group that have said to me, you know, I, I've got, you know, my one dog passed because of negligence. And mm -hmm. now I've got two more. I got to go find another vet. I'm scared to death. I don't know what to do. Who do I trust? Mm -hmm. So once that trust is broken with the profession, you know, it's obviously just like anything else in life. Once trust is broken, it's hard to get back. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have to do your best to uh, stack the stack the the deck in your favor and just go with referrals from friends and family yeah it's a it's a tough situation to to get people to advocate for themselves and get help but not shut out the veterinary practice completely i think exactly and you know what hannah the odds are the odds are you'll find you know you'll find a good vet because most vets do a good job. They, mm -hmm. you know, you're, I, we don't have any hard statistics as far as what percentage of visits to the vet result in permanent injury or, or death. Mm -hmm. It's a very low number. Okay. Re however, relatively speaking, it's this statistically significant and for those of us that have been through it, it occupies our minds and it, it just doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. It's five years 
for my wife and I. And we're constantly reminded, of course, because of the nature of what we do every day, helping people. Mm -hmm. uh, but even people in the group that have told me, I don't know how you do what you do. I, I think about my, my, you know, baby that we lost and it, it doesn't seem to go away. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to focus on my other companion animals on getting a new companion animal. You know, they just live in a world where they have to figure out a way to get by. It's really tough, you know, losing a companion animal due to natural causes or, or injury is one thing. There's mm -hmm. a profound level of sadness with that. But once you add a permanent injury or death, that did not have to occur. You've got anger, you've got rage, people get arrested for invading the, the vet's office and making threats. There's all kinds of stuff goes on. Mm -hmm. it's 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 understandable yeah absolutely you know it's understandable and and it's unfortunate but anyway the, the the you know if i have to if i have to say one thing hannah i just want people to take really good care of their companion animals get references where they need to get references and we're here if they need us i mean we can help in any way we can and um we will yeah absolutely i think it uh you're very responsive to everybody that needs help even if if you can't directly help them you it seems you always have references or or some way to go about the problem so that's right correct so um how can the public get involved and help support joey's legacy we have a donation tab at our website joeyslegacy.org uh we publish a bi-monthly newsletter on the 15th and the 30th of every month. Um, if anyone is willing to make a $20 donation, we'll send uh, newsletters for the rest of the year to their email. I mentioned the PDF copies of the books. Mm -hmm. uh, glad to send those as well. Uh, the author, JL Rob, has a website. And we'll offer 10% off of any books or any of the merchandise there. Uh, if people want to contact me uh, and I'll explain how to do that. Um, and we, we do this seven days a week mm -hmm. from eight in the morning till nine at night, Eastern time. Our phone number 803-520-7566, 803-520-7566. Uh, again, joeyslegacy.org. There's a donate tab at the top. If you're willing to donate $20, we'll send you the newsletters and the PDF copies, and we'll give you the discount at JL Rob's website. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so obviously this is a, a heavy line of work, but what has been the most rewarding part of your work with your organization? You know, Hannah, a lot of the calls that come in, I have a difficult time with the call, period. Okay, but a lot of people that call can't go more than a couple of sentences without breaking down. Mm -hmm. And it makes it even more difficult. And I mean, I certainly understand it. And I, I obviously there for them all the way. Uh, but the real reward for me 
is, and a lot of people say this at the end of the call, they said, I was totally lost. And I feel so much better after talking to you guys, because now I feel like there's hope. I have a chance for some justice. Mm-hmm. That's probably my biggest reward right there. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I don't know, with loss, it, it one of the worst parts is, is like feeling like you can't do anything about it. And so I think that it gives them a way to, to get some, some justice. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're very, we're very grateful. We're very happy that we have the opportunity to help these people because we were in their exact same shoes five years ago. Mm-hmm. And we knew, you know, we experienced that mayhem in our lives, that turmoil in our minds. And initially we had nowhere to go and nowhere and no one to turn to. We finally were able to um, engage a few people that believed in us, uh, a couple of veterinarians, a couple of attorneys that believed in us and were support that were very supportive. And it's because of them that we were able to get a good start mm-hmm. and build, build up to where we are now. Definitely. Yeah. So after working with all these people and hearing all these different stories, what's the most important lesson your organization has taught you? Um, most of the, the most important lesson my organization has taught me, mm-hmm. um, uh, just being learning to have patience to be helpful where help mm-hmm. is needed. I mean, I've always been a, a patient guy, I would say, but talking to two to three people a day with these kinds of stories, um, it kind of, I mean, it keeps, keeps Joey's memory alive. Mm -hmm. Some of these stories involve dachshunds. Some of these stories involve convenient, the same drug that, you know, was responsible for destroying Joey's kidneys. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm, it, it kind of keeps it real for me. It keeps it alive. And the more people we can help, the more grateful I am for the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I think considering, I don't know, the, it, it, sometimes the process is slow for these kind of problems to, to really make a difference. And so I think that definitely patience is something to keep in mind because you're, you're slowly chipping away at, at this big problem and, right. but, but you are making a difference. So absolutely. We are very slowly, but we're getting there. Yeah. So kind of um, wrapping up a bit, is there anything you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you yet? A lot of people that have never had this experience, a bad experience with a veterinarian, have a hard time wrapping their arms around what we do and who we are. Mm-hmm. Some actually think we're just a bunch of whiners because we lost our animals and we just want to blame the veterinarian. Some people do that. Most people do not do that. Most people are objective enough to know, especially after speaking with one of our veterinarians and getting the results of a review of the records. A lot of them will come back to me and they said, you know, you know, Dr. X explained this to me. And I was, I was all wrong about my perception of the vet and what happened. And now I understand why the vet did as much as they could 
but it was just my dogs or my cat's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get some of that. We get some people that, you know, will come back to me and say, uh, that vet doesn't know what they're talking about. Do you got another vet I can talk to? And yeah, we got 10 vets. Sure. Mm-hmm. Talk to as many as you want. You're likely to get the same response more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's tough thing to deal with emotionally. Uh, more often than not, the companion animal does not survive. And, we have grief counselors that will talk to our members to try to help. One of our grief counselors is also a victim of veterinary malpractice. She's a PhD. She's a uh, psychologist. And um, she's been very helpful to a number of our members. Because mm-hmm. we know what we know what it's all about. We've been through it. We mm-hmm. get it. So well. I just want people to know we're here if they need us. Well, I think it's amazing what you do. And I, I think it's great that you have um, so many different resources, not just, I mean, the, obviously the, the recommendations are amazing, but the, the grief counseling is, is a really cool thing. I didn't know that you had, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like I learned so much and I'm, I'm sure our viewers will too. And I'll make sure to, to link your website and, and you'll let me know when your film comes out and, and I'll get that out there. That'll be a big day. <laughs> yes. Very excited for that. Good. So thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Welcome to Fighting for the Underdog, the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world. My name is Hannah Grant, and I'm the Administrative Assistant and Social Outreach Director at The Animal Law Firm. I will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder, Christina Bergson, in order to create more content for our lovely viewers. As I interviewed these amazing people, I was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere. They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Today we have Scott Fine, founder of Joey's Legacy, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with the mission of increased advocacy for companion animals. Now, Christina interviewed Scott previously way back in season one, episode two of Fighting for the Underdog. Um, but the animal law firm works closely with Joey's Legacy, and we know how they're constantly changing and working to fight for animal rights. So we wanted to welcome them back onto the show to talk about their current projects and progress with Joey's Legacy. Um, so thanks for being here today, Scott. How are you? I'm great, Hannah. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. You're welcome. Okay, well, we can just uh, dive right into the questions then, but for a little background in case our viewers missed the first interview, can you tell us a little bit about Joey's Legacy and what you do there? Absolutely. Joey's Legacy was formed in October of 2017, uh, about four months after we lost our dachshund, Joey, to uh, what we now know was veterinary malpractice. The uh, veterinarian that was treating him that day was not his regular vet. And unfortunately, uh, he guessed at what was wrong with Joey rather than performing diagnostics like uh, labs or, or, or imaging. In any case, he decided to prescribe a drug 
uh, called convenia, which is normally given for skin and soft tissue uh, issues. Uh, Joey was brought to the vet with GI issues and unbeknownst to everyone because no labs were done, Joey was uh, suffering from uh, renal dysfunction. He, he was in early stage kidney failure, which we learned the next day after we brought him back and they, uh, his regular vet finally did labs. So unfortunately, he, the drug that he was given is known to be poison for kidneys that are not functioning properly. And um, the manufacturer even notes not to give convenient to dogs and cats with renal problems. So unfortunately, once the drug was given, uh, it was in his system what would have been 65 days, according to the manufacturer. In any case, the next day, Joey started deteriorating. And unfortunately, on the third day, his breathing became so labored and he was unable to stand. So we were advised that the best course of action would be to euthanize him and uh, relieve his suffering. And of course, our main uh, you know, goal was to uh, not for him to suffer at all. So we did uh, euthanize him on the 21st of June in 2017. So my wife and I decided after a period of short period of time that uh, we wanted to try to reach out to uh, others that may have experienced the same situation uh, with their companion animals that Joey did. And we decided to form the Facebook group, uh, Joey's Legacy Vet Mal Victims. And we went from just a couple of members to about 3,600 members today in five years. Uh, we learn about, uh, people find us from a variety of different ways, Google searches, uh, veterinarians that actually send their new clients to us to pursue the matter uh, against the, the former vet who maltreated the dog. So that's a little bit about Joey's legacy and how he got started. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry for your loss, but I think Thank it's you. amazing what you do for people. And it's a topic that not a lot of people know about. So I think it's really cool that you get the word out and people can learn a lot from your page. I know I have. Um, that was the first episode I listened to of this podcast and what got me really excited to, to get involved. So yes. I think it's well, thank day. you. Thank you. Yes, of course. So as you've been working with more and more people, what are some common problems that you've been made aware of in the veterinary profession? We, you know, Hannah, we recognize, and this is usually my first uh, uh, little diatribe that I give when I do these podcasts. We've fully recognized that the majority of the 77,000 plus veterinarians in the United States in small animal practice. They're caring, compassionate, they're ethical, they're honest with their clients. Uh, they do the right thing for their patients and they entered the profession because of a, a profound love for companion animals. Mm -hmm. We mainly deal with the, uh, the, the small minority that the rogue veterinarians, I call them bad actors because when they uh, commit an act of negligence or malpractice rather than being truthful and transparent 
with the uh, with the pet parent, uh, they avoid that confrontation or that I, I should say that adversarial relationship, which it wouldn't be if they wouldn't lie, but they do. They falsify records. There's all kinds of um, things they do that are actually violations of the Veterinary Practice Act. And so people come to us, our veterinary team reviews their records, makes a determination that negligence occurred. Uh, we write an opinion letter, also uh, known as a certificate of merit, which is passed on to our attorney in the state where the uh, alleged malpractice occurs. And um, quite often it's the animal law firm. We, we do a lot of uh, work uh, for them and with them. So um, we stay, unfortunately, we stay very busy. We talk to about 50 to 75 new people per month who come to us for assistance. Mm -hmm. So why do you think these problems exist and, and how do you, what do you think is the solution? Is, is education and awareness the biggest thing or is there other things we can do? On the, on the pet parent side, education and awareness is exactly what we have been uh, doing. That's our mandate as a 501c3 nonprofit. We provide public education in the area of animal advocacy, specifically companion animals. And we believe that the more pet parents are aware of, the more education they have, the better off they are in, with respect to advocating for their own companion animals at their own veterinarians. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's just, the, the problem is it's very simple. Okay. Malpractice occurs in every profession, doctors, lawyers, nurses, carpenters, uh, you know, plumbers, electricians, things happen that are unexpected in many professions. There's no loss of life or permanent injury to, to, a, to a, uh, you know, to a person or to a companion animal. Unfortunately, when malpractice occurs in the veterinary profession, it can create a lot of mayhem, a lot of emotional turmoil in the family if they lose their companion animal. And many of our people in our group tell us if, if the veterinarian had just been honest with us and told us exactly what happened, you know, after we went through our period of mourning, uh, you know, people think they could find a way to forgive the veterinarian for what happened. But once the veterinarian crosses the line from honesty into deception and they start falsifying records, telling lies to the uh, to the uh, pet parent and other devious type of uh, activity, then that, you know, obviously the battle is on and the pet parent seeks, uh, for lack of a better word, revenge for lying and, and demoralizing their, their themselves. Uh, you know, it's like adding salt to the wound. I mean, it's bad enough. They lost their companion animal. Now they have to be lied to about it. So that's where we step in and, you know, when appropriate, we, we sue for fraud and other types of civil violations and uh we do our best to uh 
help the uh, pet parent find closure. Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard because, I mean, I know I do. I think everyone like views their pet as part of their family and uh, it's hard for some people to understand that and that they should be treated as equal with, with human health care as with animal care. No, no doubt. Of course, the penalties are a lot more severe uh, in medical malpractice than veterinary malpractice simply because and unfortunately, in 49 out of 50 states, uh, animals are considered property. Um, and of course, we all know they're family members. None of none of us consider our dogs and cats and horses and other companion animals as property, but the law does. However, we are making some inroads and in, in making some changes in a number of states and uh, we believe that in three to five years, the entire landscape for veterinary justice is going to look entirely different and will be a lot more positive for companion animals than it is now. Mm -hmm, definitely. I think there's been a lot of progress being made. It makes it hard to, to fight for their rights and their justice when they're considered property. Um, do you want to go into that at all, the, the progress you've been making? Well, you know, veterinarians um, as a whole, the entire profession was rated number three most respected profession back in 2006 in the Gallup, in the annual Gallup poll behind nurses and pharmacists. It's been a lot of years since the veterinarian, since veterinarians were even on that list. They've fallen off the list. Uh, a long time ago, and there have been a lot of problems in the profession. Uh, you have these large conglomerates that swoop down and buy up the mom and pop veterinary clinics, and their concern is the bottom line and pretty much nothing else. Um, you know, getting sued is, a, is, is just the cost of doing business. And as long as the bottom line is, is uh, as long as there's a profit on the bottom line, that's pretty much what they care about. Uh, and, and that continues to be the problem, even, even now. I mean, these, like some of these large uh, companies have started buying up the, the smaller veterinary practices many years ago. And it just turns into a, a real bad situation. Most of our complaints from vet, from uh, pet parents are about uh, visits to the vet where the animal was brought to the vet for a dental cleaning and something goes wrong. That's the most common complaint. Too much anesthesia, the um, endotracheal tube isn't positioned properly inserted properly isn't removed properly uh, and, and so this is a matter of training and just you know reckless behavior nobody you, you know I mean the majority of the cases we get clearly whatever happened was unintentional mm -hmm. you know I, I'm not of the belief that veterinarians and vet techs drive to work every day uh, with the intention of harming their patients it's just what happens, like a car accident, like a heart attack. Uh, it just happens. It's unexpected, you know, unintentional. 
And this is the same thing. What is intentional is the decision to lie to a client about what happened to their dog or cat during a procedure or a surgery that's intentional, unforgivable. And we pursue that with a lot of vigor because we want to send the message. You know, we understand things happen. We don't want them to happen. Presumably you don't want them to happen. But when you cross the line and start to lie, that's where we step in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that it should almost be implemented and their training on how to deal with those kinds of situations rather than just procedural processes? Uh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, one of our veterinarians just told me the other day that she uh, is starting to train uh, new veterinarians, veterinarians that just graduate from uh, vet school and we've always believed that's the perfect place to start uh, and she is taking her experiences with Joey's legacy reviewing the records of other vets and writing opinion letters and teaching her new students this is what happened here kind of a don't let this happen to you kind of a program and uh, it seems to be working very well. This is the place. This is the time and place to educate veterinarians about, you know, about veterinary malpractice and what really goes on. Because I think a lot of them just don't know. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, I think that's definitely the way to go about the problem. Is you have to start at the bottom and then work way up so it's yes, really yes. cool that they do that mm -hmm. so um where can people find you for assistance if they've had a bad experience with a veterinarian joeyslegacy.org is our website uh you'll find a, a lot of information especially on the home page we're uh, working on a few projects right now we've got two books out at uh, amazon.com uh, volume one and volume two, they contain the stories, uh, very heartbreaking stories uh, of our members, some of our members who have been through a horrific experience with a veterinarian. Now, I want to make the point that we have a, a just shy of 3,600 members, I believe. The majority of them have come to us wanting to join, but telling us that they've never had a bad experience with a veterinarian which makes sense and they're just here to learn about what what they can learn uh as far as what happened to other people so they can become better advocates and and so you know a lot of people can look at a, a website like ours or a group like ours and immediately come to the incorrect conclusion oh they're just a bunch of vet bashers we absolutely are not we are very fair on but I mean, i've got a team of 10 great veterinarians that are willing to speak out against their colleagues because they're tired of the negligence and the malpractice that occurs that unfortunately permanently injures or kills uh, well causes the death of their patients when it's unnecessary mm -hmm. and you know the more veterinarians that can open their eyes and be willing to be part of the solution by speaking out instead of unfortunately even though they're great vets and they're ethical and they're honest 
they don't want to step out of their comfort zone and help uh, turn the tide in the profession. So as long as the majority don't, we're going to have a, a bigger battle on our hands. Yes, definitely. Um, so is your book and the documentary, I don't know if you want to talk about them separately, but are they on the more informative side of giving stories about people that you've helped? Or would you like to explain that a little bit? Sure. So each book, volume one and volume two, contain a couple of dozen stories for members from our group. What happened to them if their uh, animal, if their companion animal was uh died at the vet or died because of the actions of the vet or the vet tech or, or if they uh, had a permanent injury perhaps um, so that's all of that is captured in these two books by uh, best-selling author J.L. Robb who took a, an interest and a liking uh, to, Joey, to Joey's Legacy and what we do so he wrote uh, volume one and then about nine or ten months later he wrote volume two uh, there's a volume three planned probably for 2023 uh, the other thing we're doing is um, we actually have a uh, a film producer and director who's won nine emmy awards throughout his career happens to be a friend of a friend of ours and uh, he has begun to produce two documentaries. The first one is going to be called Companion Animals Are Family, Not Property. That will be a, an, a purely educational documentary for pet parents. We'll explore a lot of different aspects of being a pet parent, the best uh, nutrition, the proper nutrition, uh, wellness, uh, behavior, uh, holistic versus traditional veterinary medicine. It's just one giant opportunity for people to watch the documentary and learn as much as they can to be the best pet parent they can be. We're fortunate enough to have a gentleman from PBS who was a, a programming director at PBS for over 20 years. Uh, that documentary is already cleared to be uh, uh, presented on the PBS platform throughout the United States. And uh, we, we believe that's going to be a big hit. We're also producing another documentary called Tales of Betrayal, Tales, T-A-I-L-S of Betrayal. That will expose all of the bad actors that we, we see in the veterinary profession, including boards of veterinary medicine, who really failed to discipline their colleagues firmly and fairly on a routine basis if they did uh, step out of their comfort zone, which is uh, turning, their, uh, turning their heads away, turning a, a blind eye and a deaf ear to our members and people that file complaints against veterinarians if they would just take the time to discipline firmly and fairly i think we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today but they're more about protecting their own and uh, it's caused some real dire consequences for family members uh, we'll also of course examine the the bad actor vets that make a conscious decision to lie to their clients about uh, um, situations that 
you know, came up that were unexpected, but uh, instead of being truthful with the clients, they take the easy way out and just lie. So we're going to expose all the bad actors we can in that second documentary. We're hoping at this point that they will be ready for distribution in early 2023. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll have to keep updated on that and let me know when when they're out and I'll, I'll try to get those out to our viewers. Sure. Um, and where are the books available now? And if so, where can people find them to purchase? So uh, you can go to Amazon.com and purchase. It's Joey's Legacy, Seeking Truth and Integrity in Veterinary Medicine, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Uh, they're available in soft cover and hardcover. Uh, if any of your um, listeners would like PDF copies of those books, they can just email me at info at joeyslegacy.org, info at joeyslegacy.org, and I will send them the PDF copies uh, to their inbox. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so the, we'll, we'll offer that to your to your listeners. Okay. Thank you so uh, much. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that's pretty much what we're working on right now. We're, we're always looking for people to join our group. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we, we feel like 50 to 75 phone calls a month from people that need assistance because they did have a harrowing experience at their veterinarian's office and they don't know what to do. They're, they're totally lost as we were when Joey died, but we put it together, we figured it out, and we took the time to um, devote a lot of time to this, uh, to this mission, this effort. And we've helped hundreds and hundreds of people in the past five years. Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds like all these projects are, are really exciting and, and they're also different that I think it's really cool. It really encompasses every aspect of the problem. And yes, like, that's really exciting. Yes. Um, but I think we should take a little break here and then we'll come back and get into into some more. OK, sounds good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, we're back with Scott Fine from Joey's Legacy, and we're going to get uh, going with some questions again. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good, Hannah. Okay, great. Um, so what are your goals and dreams for the future of Joey's Legacy at the moment? We are obviously looking to help as many people as we can. We want to expand our SEO on our website. We want more and more veterinarians to hear about us and send uh, their new clients to us, as many already are doing, because you know there's always been a a, a a belief out there, Hannah, that it's kind of a brotherhood. They all stick together, mm-hmm. and uh, while vet boards do that, we're finding that individual veterinarians are starting to uh, now that they have a venue to send their bereaved clients to. Uh, you know, veterinary number one maltreats the patient, the, uh, but the patient survives. So the pet parent takes the animal to vet number two, uh, who realizes what happened at vet number one. So the veterinarian tells his or her client, go talk to Joey's legacy 
vent number one needs to be called out. There needs to be accountability from vent number one. And so that we're seeing that a lot. So we, there are veterinarians more and more that are willing to step out of their comfort zone and send people to us um, where accountability needs to be, uh, uh, you know, brought to light with the uh, the bad actor. Mm-hmm. So and it's, so it sounds yeah, like the it sounds like the real problem is that um, they they were really missing this kind of third party to be able to go to right. to to right. get to get their issues dealt with because the vets are just have too much on their plates to handle it on their own it seems exactly and you know a lot of our vets have gone to vet, their vet boards in their states and f- tried to file complaints against their colleagues where they know there's uh, bad things happening at the practice like allowing the receptionist to perform a spay or a neuter or a dental cleaning where they're totally unlicensed and untrained and that's where you know death occurs in a lot of cases Uh, but the vet boards don't care about their complaints either Mm -hmm. they do not want to discipline their colleagues unless they absolutely have to like if, if, if there's a veterinarian that's caught using veterinary drugs for personal use then the drug enforcement administration can come in and revoke the vet's license so the vet board has no choice but to revoke the veterinary license um and but you know short of something criminal or just something way out there uh when it comes to just these regular i don't want to call it regular because nothing Nothing's routine about it, but when it comes to negligence and malpractice, vet boards typically don't care about doing anything about it. Why is that? What is what's discouraging them from disciplining them? Well, I mean, it's I can only speculate. However, mm-hmm. I will tell you that when we were at the hearing, we filed a complaint with the Florida Board of Veterinary Medicine back in. Uh, a few months after Joey died, and the, the hearing was uh, 15 months later, which would have brought it to uh, December of 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to listen to what the vet's, you know, final discipline would be, and um, we ran into one of the board members during the lunch break, and I said to her, "I said, I notice all these other veterinarians are." you're just kind of slapping them on the hand you're not really disciplining them her response which i'll probably remember the rest of my life was well what do you want us to do suspend or revoke every veterinarian (laughs) and so when i you know dealing with that kind of stupidity i didn't bother to continue the conversation uh they are worried about their own reputations they're worried about uh, reprisal from the, uh, the the veterinarians that uh, are, are, you know, called out if they're disciplined, you know, too firmly or too, you know, too fairly or however you want to look at it. They're actually worried about getting threats from the veterinarians because they discipline them too heavily or too, too strictly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you don't want the job 
let somebody else do it. Why are you there? Yeah, you know? that seems like a very ignorant response, to be honest. Uh, it like is. How, how do you solve any problem unless unless you address it? I, I, well, it's very frustrating. The reality is, Hannah, they don't solve any problems. <laughs> yeah. They don't do anything mm-hmm. to help things along. And so, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like Joey's legacy to be that um, second chance for the uh, pet parent to um, attempt to, you know, gain or achieve justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it's a really critical step in the process at, at this point. Yes. Um, so how has the social and political environment and attitude changed surrounding veterinary malpractice? And, and how do you think this will change in the future? Well, we, you know, our group and other, other groups have already started the process of changing laws. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had some uh, cases where they turned into uh public awareness, you know, that our attorney and our veterinary team are involved and we are seeking justice against the animal hospital, for example, in New York and Texas, wherever it is. And it's, we're making it public because it's going to court. So it's obviously a matter of public record. And this is another way to expose this now malpractice in the profession to the public, to the world. And a lot of our members are talking to their state legislators to try to make changes uh, in laws pertaining to companion animals. For example, in Delaware, a few years ago, uh, one of our members lost his uh, his his dog to uh, over vaccination, and so he was instrumental in working with the a couple of the legislators in Delaware and there's a uh, uh, there's a law now called Maggie's Pet Vaccination Protection Act which means that Delaware veterinarians are no longer mandated to offer rabies vaccines if the, a blood titer test can demonstrate that the dog already has immunity to rabies there's no need to give an actual vaccination which can tend to cause seizures and long-term issues Um, so that's one major step Mm -hmm. uh, for companion animals and then just recently uh, there was another law instituted uh, or enacted i should say in delaware called izzy the cat act where izzy survived and uh Izzy's uh, pet parent was able to work with the legislators again in Delaware and get uh, the law changed to allow emotional damages in this kind of a lawsuit. Typically, there it, it, traditionally it's never been allowed to mm-hmm. sue f- for emotional damages. You could only recover the cost of all of the uh, vet visits and a, uh, a sum of money known as replacement value for the companion animal if the animal passed uh, but we've been able to you know kind of start breaking down the walls and um, allowing emotional damages in these types of cases uh, this is a this is a landmark decision and will allow other states 
to uh, enact those kinds of laws, which will make these kinds of cases more interesting and more lucrative to animal law attorneys who now often just refuse the case because it takes time and there's not a lot of money involved for either the attorney or for the pet parent. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's a really important step in, in getting people to view animals as more than property as well. If, if they're willing to get justice for the emotional damage, I, I, I think that's a that's a big step. That's a that's a, a really big deal. And we're also now suing for fraud, uh, <laughs> falsifying documents when we can prove that the uh, veterinarian is working with two sets of records, which quite often uh, they do. And um, of course, the second set of records is cleaned up. It doesn't show their negligence or what they did wrong, but our veterinary team is quite often able to identify records that have been altered. And uh, that of course is related to the attorney involved and then they take it from there. Um, this is a little off topic, but uh, just, I don't know, I was thinking about it while you were talking. Um, how do you suggest that uh, people research and find good veterinarians? How do they avoid these places that have had malpractice in the, in the past or how should they go about that? That's difficult. The, mm-hmm. the you know, public, a public record for a veterinarian will show only complaints that were sustained by the vet board that the vet board said, yeah, you, you messed up and we're going to discipline you. Although the discipline is never much of anything, any complaints that are filed against the veterinarian that are dismissed, never show up anywhere. So there could have been 50 complaints against a particular veterinarian and only the veterinarian would know it never becomes public record. So to your, to your question, the best way I would is referral from friend or family. Um, a lot of times the Better Business Bureau, if there's no complaints, that can be a good sign that the, the veterinarian is practicing at or above the standard of care, the ethical, professional, honest. Um, but probably, I mean, if I was, uh, if I was in the, you know, if I was looking for a new vet, I would absolutely look for friends or family in in my community and see what they have to say it's it's not easy yeah yeah it's a real challenge trying to decide like first-time pet owners where they should take their pet exactly i'm sure looking at your page honestly would would help alone just seeing people's experiences It, it kind of frightens people from even wanting to i mean i've got members of my group that have said to me you know i've got you know my one dog passed because of negligence and now i've got two more i got to go find another vet i'm scared to death i don't know what to do who do i trust mm-hmm. so once that trust is broken with the profession you know it's obviously just like anything else in life once trust is broken it's hard to get back mm-hmm. and that's why you have to do your best to uh, stack the stack the the deck in your favor and just go with referrals from friends and family yeah it's a it's a tough situation to to get people to 
advocate for themselves and get help, but not shut out the veterinary practice completely, I think. Exactly. And you know what, Hannah, the odds are, the odds are you'll find, you know, you'll find a good vet because most vets do a good job. They, Mm -hmm. you know, you're... Uh, we don't have any hard statistics as far as what percentage of visits to the vet result in permanent injury or, or death. It's a very low number. Okay. Re- however, relatively speaking, it's this statistically significant. And for those of us that have been through it, it occupies our minds and it just doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It's five years for my wife and I. And we're constantly reminded, of course, because of the nature of what we do every day, helping people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even people in the group that have told me, I don't know how you do what you do. I, I think about my, my, you know, baby that we lost and it, it doesn't seem to go away. It's hard to you know it's hard to focus on my other companion animals on getting a new companion animal you know they just live in a world where they have to figure out a way to get by it's really tough you know losing a companion animal due to natural causes or or injury is one thing there's Mm -hmm. a profound level of sadness with that but once you add a permanent injury or death that that did not have to occur you've got anger you've got rage people get arrested for invading the the vet's office and making threats and all kinds of stuff goes on mm-hmm. it, it's 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 understandable yeah absolutely you know it's understandable and, and it's unfortunate but anyway the, the, the you know if i have to if I have to say one thing, Hannah, I just want people to take really good care of their companion animals, get references where they need to get references, and we're here if they need us. I mean, we can help in any way we can, and um, we will. Yeah, absolutely. I think it. Uh, you're very responsive to everybody that needs help, even if if you can't directly help them. You. It seems you always have references or or some way to go about the problem. So that's right. Correct. So, um, how can the public get involved and help support Joey's Legacy? We have a donation tab at our website, joeyslegacy.org. Uh, we publish a bi-monthly newsletter on the fifteenth and the thirtieth of every month. Um. If anyone is willing to make a $20 donation, we'll send uh, newsletters for the rest of the year to their email. I mentioned the PDF copies of the books. Uh, Glad to send those as well. Uh, The author, JL Rob, has a website and will offer 10% off of any books or any of the merchandise there. Uh, If people want to contact me, I'll explain how to do that. Um, and we, we do this seven days a week from eight in the morning till nine at night, Eastern time. Our phone number 803-520-7566. 803-520-7566. The 
again, joeyslegacy.org. There's a donate tab at the top. If you're willing to donate $20, we'll send you the newsletters and the PDF copies, and we'll give you the discounted JL Rob's website. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so obviously this is a, a heavy line of work, but what has been the most rewarding part of your work with your organization? You know, Hannah, a lot of the calls that come in, I have a difficult time with the call, period. Okay, but a lot of people that call can't go more than a couple of sentences without breaking down. Mm-hmm. And it makes it even more difficult. And I mean, I certainly understand it. And I, I obviously there for them all the way. Uh, but the real reward for me is, and a lot of people say this at the end of the call, they said, I was totally lost. And I feel so much better after talking to you guys, because now I feel like there's hope. I have a chance for some justice. Mm-hmm. That's probably my biggest reward right there. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I don't know, with loss, it, it, one of the worst parts is, is like feeling like you can't do anything about it. And so I think that it gives them a way to, to get some, some justice. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we're, we're very, we're very grateful. We're very happy that we have the opportunity to help these people because we were in their exact same shoes five years ago. Mm-hmm. And we knew, you know, we experienced that mayhem in our lives, that turmoil in our minds. And initially we had nowhere to go and nowhere and, and no one to turn to. We finally were able to um, engage a few people that believed in us, uh, a couple of veterinarians, a couple of attorneys that believed in us and were support that were very supportive. And it's because of them that we were able to get a good start mm-hmm. and build, build up to where we are now. Definitely. Yeah. So after working with all these people and hearing all these different stories, what's the most important lesson your organization has taught you? Uh, most of the, the most important lesson my organization has taught me, mm-hmm. um, uh, just being learning to have patience to be helpful where help is needed. I mean, I've always been a, a patient guy, I would say, but talking to two to three people a day with these kinds of stories, um, it, it kind of, I mean, it keeps, keeps Joey's memory alive. Some of these stories involve dachshunds. Some of these stories involve convenient, the same drug that, you know, was responsible for destroying Joey's kidneys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, it, it kind of keeps it real for me. It keeps it alive. And the more people we can help, the more grateful I am for the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I think considering, I don't know, the, it, it, sometimes the process is slow for these kind of problems to, to really make a difference. And so I think that definitely patience is something to keep in mind because you're, you're slowly chipping away at, at this big problem and, right. but, but you are making a difference. So. Absolutely. We are very slowly, but we're getting there. 
Yeah. So kind of um, wrapping up a bit, is there anything you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you yet? A lot of people that have never had this experience, a bad experience with a veterinarian, have a hard time wrapping your arms around what we do and who we are. Mm-hmm. Some actually think we're just a bunch of whiners because we lost our animals and we just want to blame the veterinarian. Some people do that. Most people do not do that. Most people are objective enough to know, especially after speaking with one of our veterinarians and getting the results of a review of the records. A lot of them will come back to me and they said, you know, you know, Dr. X explained this to me. And I was, I was all wrong about my perception of the vet and what happened. And now I understand why the vet did as much as they could, but it was just my dogs or my cat's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get some of that. We get some people that, you know, will come back to me and say, uh, that vet doesn't know what they're talking about. Do you got another vet I can talk to? And yeah, we got 10 vets. Sure. Talk to as many as you want. You're likely to get the same response, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's a tough thing to deal with emotionally. Uh, more often than not, the companion animal does not survive. And we have grief counselors that will talk to our members to try to help one of our grief counselors is also a victim of veterinary malpractice. She's a PhD. She's a uh, psychologist. And um, she's been very helpful to a number of our members. Because we know what we know what it's all about. We've been through it. We get it. So I just want people to know we're here if they need us. Well, I think it's amazing what you do. And I, I think it's great that you have um, so many different resources, not just... I mean, the obviously the the recommendations are amazing, but the the grief counseling is, is a really cool thing. I didn't know that you had, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like I learned so much, and I'm I'm sure our viewers will too. And I'll make sure to to link your website and and you'll let me know when your film comes out, and Absolutely. and I'll get that out there. That'll be a big day. Yes, very excited for that. Good. So thank, thank you, you Hannah. so much. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.